Hi there and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue BTN.com and this is a change of pace episode for the Take 10 Podcast because this episode is about nothing but Big Ten hoops. We are talking all basketball for the next hour or so on this podcast and that is a change certainly from what we've been discussing on this podcast for the last couple of months. If you look back, I think the last eight, nine, ten episodes or so have all been strictly football because we are in the middle of a thrilling Big Ten football season right now, and, and we mainly focused on that. But basketball season is sneaking up on us, and it's a few weeks away. It's less than a month away. I think the game's getting underway the second week of November. And to kind of drive that point home and, and uh, you know wake us up here, we've got Big Ten Basketball Media Day in New York City at Madison Square Garden on Thursday. So... If you're listening to this when it's released on Thursday, uh, I'm in New York City for Media Day, as well as uh, Tom Deanhart, along with him, at MSG. So be looking out for all of our coverage from this, uh, you know, you can call it a special Media Day, being New York City, uh, as, as the conference tries to, you know, expand their footprint and, and take more of a foothold in that city with the Big Ten Tournament taking place out there as well in late February and early March. So we'll be out there as you listen to this later this week. And to break down the Big Ten and everything Big Ten basketball related, we brought in Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News. If you if you watch BTN, Mike is on our airwaves regularly during Big Ten basketball season. So he is uh, very familiar with the conference. He's a college basketball writer for the Sporting News. And we get into... Every single team, we, we touch on you know, everything you need to know heading into 2017-18 Big Ten basketball season. Touch on all that in the next hour plus, so definitely stay tuned as we uh, take a broad look at the conference and give this to you, along with a lot of other content, hopefully, coming out of uh, Big Ten Media Days on Thursday, October 19th. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, on Thursday, be sure to check out our coverage on, on BTN and on all of our social media channels, btn.com, all that good stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, basketball's here, so get ready. I know uh, probably, you know, four or five of the schools, maybe half the schools in the Big Ten are, can't wait for basketball to get here for obvious reasons, and uh, the other half probably it's the furthest thing from their minds right now, but we're here to kind of jolt you into the realization that, uh, hoops are upon us so before we get to the conversation with mike DeCourcy, um, i want to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on itunes apple Podcasts, google play podbean and uh, please rate the show and leave a review if you like it and um, continue to, to stay up to date on everything that we are releasing here on this podcast as things heat up now not only in, in football but in basketball as well and one more reminder for everyone before we get to the interview with Mike DeCourcy, I uh, just want to remind everyone that you can take 10% off your order with the Take 10 podcast on the btn.com shop. Um, there, we have a coupon code. It's Take 10, T-A-K-E-1-0 that you can apply to your order at the uh, btn.com shop. You can find that shop 
on the the store tab on btn.com and the store has uh you know all, all your merchandise and apparel needs for every big 10 school and it's top line stuff this isn't you know stuff you get pulling into campus and the campus gas station this is you know nike jordan brand adidas uh under armor apparel it's legit stuff it's you know what the players get for free and what, what uh what uh you, what you want to be wearing on, on campus and there's also all kinds of stuff you can use to deck out your dorm deck out your den your fan cave whatever it's all there and you can get a uh, discount just for listening to the podcast by using the coupon code t-a-k-e-1-0 so take 10 percent off your order with the take 10 podcast and uh you'll you'll look a little better than you did um before you listen to this podcast once you're dripping and all that big 10 attire so now uh after that long-winded intro we will get to our interview with mike decorsi it's the Big Ten Basketball Preview 2017-18, and um, it's here, so buckle up, and this is the first basketball podcast episode of this season, hopefully many more to come, and we'll get to Mike's interview right now. I am very pleased to be joined over the phone by Tom Deanhart. He's calling in from St. Louis, and we're bringing in a big-time college hoops writer to help us preview the Big Ten Basketball season. With Big Ten Media Days upon us, it's the Sporting News' Mike DeCourcy. He's on the line, and you can follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. Mr. DeCourcy, thanks for joining us. How are you doing this morning? Gentlemen, how are you? And I use that term loosely in Dean Hart's uh, case, but... Uh, I'm great, know, I don't Tom. know if you know, Alex, but we go way, way, way back. Uh, oh, yeah, Tom's Tom Sporting is, News. Tom, I, I owe a lot of my career to Tom, and we'll never be able to thank him enough. Kind words, Tom. Yeah, I think it's been 20 years. Uh, so, yeah, Mike, it's always good to hear your voice. I love watching you on BTN. You do a good job, uh, you know, whatever platform you're working on. So, yes, I appreciate you giving us some of your time today as we sort of sneak a peek at the upcoming season. And like Alex said, Big Ten Media Days in the Big Apple this Thursday. is going to be a fun event. Yeah, Mike, yeah gonna... I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think uh, – you know, I know there's a lot of trepidation about moving the tournament to New York, and I know we're going to talk about that further. But you know, I, I I'm I'm very excited about uh, what that holds. Mike, are you going to be there uh, Media Day Thursday? Oh, no question. Uh, right. I'm a Big Ten Media Day fixture. Awesome. All right, so we'll probably <laughs> see you there. And uh, this is being released on Media Day, so if you're listening to this the day it comes out, all three of us are already there in New York, probably uh, fighting off the tourists and street performers and, and the the rats dragging slices of pizza. Across the sidewalk at this at this very moment. So uh, Tom and I will do our best to bring some great stuff from Madison Square Garden. Be sure to check out uh, BTN social media platforms for all that. We know Mike will do the same for the sporting news. And um, we'll get into our discussion here. And since this is a preview, we're going to be pretty pretty broad. So if you're looking to catch up on the conference at large, this will be helpful. If you're looking for in depth roster breakdowns at this point, you'll probably have to find that elsewhere. But um, guys, I want to start with the biggest story in college basketball for the last several for the last several weeks and the last almost month or so, and that's the FBI investigation that is rippling across the entire sport. Uh, we won't rehash all the fine details right now because the story's been out there for so long. Uh, people who are living under a rock can Google it if they want, but the short version is we had four college basketball assistant coaches and some Adidas execs, shoe company execs, were charged in a corruption scandal that has been the subject of a federal investigation with shoe companies, college basketball coaches, recruits being implicated, by uh, some illegal bribes and backdoor deals that have kind of gone on 
for, in college basketball for a long time. Uh, Rick Pitino went down at Louisville because of it, and Bruce Feldman of Fox and others have kind of suggested that more indictments could be coming soon. So, Mike, do you believe that there will be uh, more victims from this besides Rick Pitino and uh, a few assistant coaches? And if so, how soon do you foresee that happening? I think the first thing to, to remember in all of this is that is that I think that one of the things that I've been fighting against since all this began is the idea that this is a strictly a college basketball issue. I don't think that's fair to college basketball. I don't think it's fair to the truth. I mean, the reality is this is a basketball issue. This cuts across the entire game, from high schools to AAU or whatever you want to call it, summer, to the to the colleges and then on to the pros. It cuts across the whole group, and it all got, kind of gets dumped on college's doorstep for whatever reason. I think it's because it's somewhat convenient, and also because I'm, I'm not exempting the fact that there were four college assistant coaches that were indicted for this, uh, or, uh, not, excuse me, uh, given criminal complaints. I think I had the language on that wrong originally. They were given criminal complaints and arrested but I think it's important to note that this is a basketball problem, not just a college basketball problem. And as far as whether or not, you know, I, I think that anyone who is proximate to those 10 defendants would have to worry to some degree about what, you know, about what might be said by any of them uh, as, you know, as, in, in, in negotiations with, prosecutors if indeed any such negotiations take place but I think there would be cause for concern but how far it goes beyond that you know I think that there's been an assumption that because we know that uh, that law, rule breaking exists that, that this is going to catch all of it well if they were trying to catch all of it I think they would have they would have conducted their their uh, their operation for a longer period of time uh, I think they got most of what they can get and then some things will probably come out of, uh, you know, or possibly could come out of the conversations with any or all of the ten defendants. But I think the, you know, is is this the tip of the iceberg in cheating in college basketball? Maybe, but is that mean? Does that mean that it's all going to come spilling out because of these circumstances? I'm skeptical of that. Yeah, Mike. Realistically, do you foresee any major disruptions to this college basketball season? Oh, I think it's quite possible still. Yes, I'm not. I'm not. Dis, I'm not disavowing that because again, like I said, you have four assistant coaches that were taken in by the federal authorities, and we don't know what will come of any of that. Um, and some of them were at interesting, prominent places. I mean, uh, Book Richardson from Arizona, uh, for one. Now, the, subsequent to this, we had the the uh, president and athletic director come out at Arizona in support of their program and their head coach, Sean Miller. And that was really important for Sean because in a circumstance like this, unless you're really sure that you're in a good spot, your program and your head coach, as an athletic director or president, I don't think you want to stick your neck out there. I think you'd probably you know, either say nothing or say uh, goodbye. Um, I, that's not happened. They, they supported Sean. And, you know, that's, you know, the reason that's germane to this season is that Sporting News, and I don't think we're alone in this, had Arizona as the number one team entering the season, entering the preseason anyway. So, I, I, so the fact that Sean has gotten the support of his administration is really important to, you know, to the nature of how this season develops. Yeah, and Tom... 
you uh, you've obviously covered the Big Ten for a while. You know all the coaches and and, and likely how they operate. And um, we'll talk a little bit about Illinois uh, a little later, specifically because they have a head coach directly tied to one of those assistants who was arrested. But Tom, in your opinion, do you think anyone across the Big Ten like is there a general sense of worry or concern, or do you think everyone's sleeping pretty well in the Big Ten specifically? It seems like most are sleeping well, Alex. Uh, I guess you, know, you mentioned Illinois. Obviously, Brad Underwood. Uh, Brad Underwood, of course, was at Oklahoma State, and of course, Oklahoma State had a, was one of those schools that had an assistant coach that that uh, was part of the FBI sting. So, you know, I, I guess you have to connect the dots and wonder uh, about about Underwood and maybe what he needs while he's still at Oklahoma coaching the Cowboys. I mean, that that seems to be the one Big Ten school that. At least is on on my radar, and again, anybody logically who follows this thing has to wonder about Brad Underwood. So we'll see. Like Mike said, more shortly revealed. You referenced Bruce Feldman's uh, report that soon maybe another shoe will drop, and you know, like Mike said too, it's going to be interesting to see now now that these uh, these people have been uh, you know identified, uh, who's talking, who's saying what, who could be implicated. I mean, who knows how the dominoes could construct to unfold as we keep moving forward here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it'll be something that'll be dominating the college basketball season, I'd have to imagine, uh, especially as games get going here. Um, we'll shift to another broader, more speculative topic, and nothing is confirmed yet, but it, it sure sounds like there'll be 20 uh, Big Ten Conference games played following this season. So after this season, uh, the Big Ten will move to a 20-game Big Ten schedule. Um, so theoretically, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this layout. First of all, I mean, I think the more of these, uh, you know, throwaway games, these cupcake games, they can get rid of, the better. I, I, I just think there's too many games in November and December against nobodies that uh, clog the schedule and pretty much drag interest and uh, really don't serve any real purpose. So, in my opinion, get some of these bums off the schedule and get these snoozers out of the way and get on with it and, and maybe balance the schedule a little more for uh, for the conference and and maybe it'll go a ways toward determining a more fair champion. So, Mike. Um, what are your thoughts on on a twenty game Big Ten schedule? Do you think it's it's beneficial for the league? Is it beneficial for the league? Yes. Uh, I, is it beneficial for the players? Is my question, uh, and I think that depends on what they do with the rest of the schedules. Um, you know, I covered a team in nineteen ninety one ninety two. Uh, Sean Miller played for it, as a matter of fact. Uh, they're they're the Pitt team that year. And I, I, as I recall, they had 32 regular season games that year, and I believe, if I remember correctly, 27 or 29 were against high major competition. And it was just devastating to that team. I mean, they just were worn out. It was so much for them to handle, to, be, to have to go night after night after night against high-level competition. And so it really affected how they handled it all. And I, you know, I, so I, want, you know, I think sometimes what people forget is those – Although, you know, you can have too many of those games without a doubt, and Georgetown certainly working on that this year. Um, you, you, you need some of them to sort of lighten their load and to allow them to sort of ease into the season to an extent. So I think those, that would be my concern if I were a coach would be the load and how do I manage that and how do I, you know, how, do, how, do, how does any league, you know, now that 20 games is going to be kind of the universe, how does any league establish its value, or, and how does the, you know, how does the committee decide well which league is any good if they're all just playing each other for the most part? I think that's kind of those are kind of the downsides of it. But from the standpoint of 
you know, more good games for Big Ten fans, I think that's a big plus. And also, the other thing, I've been campaigning for a long time about this, maybe not a long time, is home games. One of the worst things college basketball has done to itself over the last 10 years is export its best games off campus. You can see it all over the – and I'm not talking about, you know, everybody plays in one Maui tournament or whatever, but then everybody's playing in a doubleheader here or a doubleheader there or – you know, an event, you know, a one-off event here. And I think that's bad for college basketball because at the end of the day, what makes the game special is the environment in the home gym. And if you get rid of that too much, you wind up in a spot where people don't see what makes college basketball special. This returns it all to campus. Those are fair points, Mike. I definitely agree with that. Well, again, Mike, I I agree. I think there's still going to be enough you know, competition outside your league, isn't it going to be to, to measure yourself with the ACC Big Ten Challenge in particular with the Gavit Series? I have to think there's still going to be enough quality non-conference games for the NCAA Tournament Committee to sort of judge these, these conferences against each other. And, and, and let me say this, too. There's 18 Big Ten conference games now, right? That is, that's correct, yes. How in the world is that in two more conference games going to break the backs of these kids? Well, it might not. And I, like I said, it depends on what you do with the other games. And, and we don't know yet what will happen because they're, they're still debating this now, what will happen with the rest of the schedule. How do they want to manage that? Um, you know, the, the uh, exempt tournaments uh, and, you know, do they want to expand or contract the overall number of games? They're still working on all that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just raising that as a possibility not to, you know, to, that it could be a little bit too, too demanding if, um, you know, if you if you play a lot more games or a lot fewer games, and therefore they're all you know high level. It, it depends. A lot depends on the rest of the circumstance. I'm just raising that as something that people will want to watch yeah. um, as you know as the rest of this is negotiated. Yeah, interesting point. And, yeah, and my Mike's um, right about that, that taking games off campus. Is, I mean, for football, it's horrible too. Um, like Mike said, and I, I believe too. What makes college sports so great? the on-campus experience. The students can go to the games. It's not taking these games to play them in Jerry Jones Stadium in Dallas or taking them to Atlanta for football. And Mike says, taking the Madison Square Garden for the Gabbett Series or taking them just, just off-campus. Maybe maybe once or twice with the last of them to sort of attract what makes college sports special. Yeah, no question. And I mean, it obviously stems from partly because coaches don't want to give up those I mean, they don't want to go on the road and take a potential L, but uh, I agree that you'd much rather see those games on campus. And on the subject of scheduling, um, there's going to be a week off between the Big Ten Tournament and Selection Sunday this year for the first time. It's it's another point of contention with the compressed schedule, with the Big Ten Tournament being played uh, a week earlier at Madison Square Garden to kind of fit that in with the Big East Tournament that will be there the next week. Uh, Some coaches have spoken out against that. In fact, I'd be willing to bet most Big Ten coaches probably don't like it. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I think this is kind of being made out to be a bigger deal than it'll end up being um, once we get to that point. I, I think it could be a good team, good thing for teams to catch their breath kind of after, like you mentioned, Mike, a long season, uh, an 18-game ske- Big Ten schedule that's, a, that's always a grind. And, um, I mean, it's not like you can really say, oh, oh this is going to ruin the, the mojo the Big Ten has had in the NCAA tournament. There hasn't been a champion since 2000. So, Mike, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like, is this really a big deal? Because personally, I just think it's going to be a talking point that, that's going to be brought up occasionally 
all season long, and then that week is going to come and go, and nobody's going to really care. Well, I, I think it, you have to plan for it. Um, what do you want to do with that week? How do you rest your players? How much do you practice them? All that sort of stuff. If you're, you know, if you're obviously NCAA tournament qualified, and for those that are on the bubble, it's going to be a longer week uh, than it might ordinarily be. Uh, you know, it, obviously, you, you know, in the past, you lose in the Big Ten tournament on Thursday or Friday, and then you don't know, and but you have to wait two days. Now you're going to have to wait eight or nine, so that's not fun. But as far as what it does to uh, the team's performance, I mean, Gonzaga played and won, I believe, on a Tuesday last year. And then, you know, and so that's three days, that's two days later, actually, than the champion of the Big Ten will play this year. So, and then they went to the championship game and lost at the very end. Uh, so it's not as if that, you know, that time off hurt them any. Uh, Wichita made the Final Four in 2012, 2000, 2013, excuse me, coming off playing on the exact same day relative to Selection Sunday and the, and the start of the tournament that this team will play, this champion and, and runner-up will play this year. So I, I think that it's not, a, it, it's not a detriment at all. It's just something different that you have to get used to and maybe you ask around your coach friends like, you know, Greg Marshall or, some, or, or Mark Few and say, hey, what do you do? And, okay, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll work our way around that. But uh, the idea that it's going to be a huge detriment to the Big Ten teams, I don't buy that at all. Yeah, Tom, I know you're going to collect some thoughts or you're planning on maybe asking some coaches about this on media days uh, when we get there Thursday. Personally, does this bother you at all or is it much ado about nothing, do you think? Uh, I think Mike raised a lot of great points. I had read a story he wrote uh, a few months ago about this. He referenced, like he said, Wichita State. Some of these other conferences have dealt with this in the past and still had great success during March Madness. So it all depends on how you want to spend it. But it's been proven that you can still have a long layoff after your postseason conference tournament and still succeed in the big dance. Um, for me, guys, I'd love to hear Mike's comments on this. To me, maybe the bigger issue for the Big Ten this year is the compressed schedule, right? Um, they're going to have to play more games in a smaller window, and you sort of wonder maybe how that could affect the team, uh, the teams as the season grinds on here because you know they wanted to get on the big stage of Madison Square Garden. They're going to get it, but to do that, they've had to really alter their schedule where they're going to get more Big Ten games even into the month of December. Yeah, thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I'd have to really look at this closely, but, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind would be like an injury that happened to Bronson Koenig last year. It wasn't the – I believe he might have missed one game, maybe two, um, but he was limited. And so, you know, they were, they were failing when he was limited. And then when he got healthy again, they were really good again. And so I don't know. I'd have to look at how the way – the manner in which the schedule is compacted this year – and whether or not, does that mean like if you get a Bronson Koenig who hurts his calf this year, does he miss more games or is he limited for more games uh, than he ordinarily would be? Maybe, you know, that, so that might make a little difference. Uh, and you might get a little more worn down and tired. But as I said, there are other teams that have been dealing with this at a high level, uh, like the Gonzagas and, and Wichita States, uh, for a long period of time and haven't really been diminished by it. And they're not traveling in a lot of cases. Now, with those two, it is true. Uh, I think they did. But not all the teams that compete at that level get to travel well. Uh, so, you know, there's nobody in the Big Ten that's not traveling, you know, uh, advantageously. 
uh, private for the most part, that sort of thing, and staying in good places and all of that. So I, I do think that for the most part, the compre- compressed schedule you know, could cause a problem for one team or another if they get an injury. But I think that the only difference is that they have to be ready to go if they want to win the league. They're going to have to be ready to go that first weekend in December. And ordinarily, they wouldn't have to be ready to go until the last weekend in December. Yeah, personally, I'm looking forward to, you know, just Big Ten games for a longer stretch of time. I think it'll be fun to follow. And as I mentioned earlier, I just, I, I just can't stand some of the, you know, directional school games that, that seem to wear on forever. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, let's get into some talk about actual actual teams now and move on from schedule speculation. And uh, we can start with the highest ranked team heading into the preseason, at least projection wise, and that's Michigan State. They'll likely be a top five team with a ton of talent coming back, namely Miles Bridges at the top. Uh, Mike, do you think with this uh, Michigan State squad coming back with all, all the talent that, uh, that I mentioned, um, do you think it's the best chance for a Big Ten team entering the season to win a national title since maybe Wisconsin in, in 2014 or go back to Indiana in 2012. Is, is this the strongest Big Ten team you've seen in a number of years or just uh, relative to the rest of the league this year? Yeah, uh, relative to the rest of the country, too. Uh, you know, the, the, the difference with this team, and I think, it, you know, uh, although Kentucky was formidable in 2015, I, I think the 2015 was the Wisconsin team that really had the great shot. Uh, right. 2014-15, yeah. Yeah. Bringing yep. back all those guys. And they did have a great shot, and they could have won it. The, uh, they were really close. Um, I, you know, I, I think that this team has an excellent chance. But what's interesting about this team is, and, and that 2014-15 Wisconsin team is a really good example. They pretty much had everybody back. Uh, they only had to get, you know, the guys had to get incrementally better, and they were going to be a threat. And then actually, as it turned out, Frank Kaminsky got a lot better. Um this what happens with this Michigan State team is that a, a lot of players have to get a lot better for them to be what we think they'll be. I mean, usually you look at it and it's like a team like that Wisconsin team. Well, they were really good a year ago. They got everybody back. Everybody's going to get a little better, so they'll be really good this year. This Michigan State team, they were, they were good last year sometimes. They were good at the end. Uh, they were hard to play at times. They were not hard to play at others. Uh, they were really young, and they were really talented. And so a lot of players who are in that group have to get significantly better. I mean, they were the, I don't know, borderline uh, 25th to 30th best team last year. Now we're expecting them to be the second to fourth best team, uh, or maybe the first best team. So that's a long leap. I think they can make it. I think they will make it, because I do believe there's great talent there, and I do know that they're making additions uh, from the, you know, from their own injured reserve list, so to speak, and to you know freshmen like Jaron Jackson, uh, and so there's a lot coming in. There is going to be improvement from players like Cassius Winston, uh, and I I think that you know Miles Bridges, although he doesn't have to get a lot better for that for them to be special, uh, and for him to be special, I think that you'll see a player who's really ready to dominate night in night out. Yeah, you mentioned those recruits. Uh, I mean, Jaron Jackson, Xavier Tillman. Uh, it's going to be a, a huge boost to a team that, you know, already uh, had, a, like you said, a solid season last year, um, but it showed the flashes of potential. And I think that those freshmen probably won't need to grow as much as the ones last year because they'll have those, those buffers of, of uh, now sophomores and Miles Bridges, Cassius Winston, Nick Ward, guys like that. And, uh, Mike, you brought up a good point. 
and uh, MS- MSU fans know, but I think a lot of people seeing and projecting Michigan State as a top five team forget that you know you mentioned this this was a you know top thirty ish team. They were a nine seed in the tournament, a young team that had some stinkers last year, some injuries, and some real growing pains. So, Tom, do you envision the squad following you know a Michigan State type blueprint we've seen in recent years, where they take some lumps with a different with a uh, Difficult non-con schedule, which I think it's a little softer this year. They do uh, play in that Champions Classic here in Chicago. Or do you think this team is built well enough to kind of rise above even those typical losses that they take, say, against a Duke or uh, a Notre Dame early in the season where their youth kind of shows um, and take a take a loss maybe where they shouldn't against a uh, non-conference um, uh, inferior opponent? Or do you think this regular season is going to be more smooth sailing? Do you think those, those freshmen make that leap as sophomores? We'll see. Like you said, the, the freshman they're bringing in, especially the Jackson kid, um, he looked awfully good. And some people are already calling this maybe Tom Izzo's most gifted team ever he's had in East Lansing. How that translates into wins and losses, we'll see. But Mike makes some good points. You know, Michigan State, I was looking it up, but they were 20-15 and 15 last year overall. Again, uh, didn't do much in March either. So real up and down season. Maybe we are asking them to make a little bit too big of a leap this year, but again, the talent um, is just off the charts. You guys talked about Bridges, who wasn't shocked that he came back for his sophomore year. Um, it'd be fun to watch him continue and maybe take that next step, but as you guys know, um, it's always about your guard play, isn't it? How good your guards are, and we'll see how well those Michigan State guards develop this year. If they can maybe uh, take that step, uh, and maybe the Spartans can finally in that you know, national championship drop against all the way back to 2000 seems stunning to me. Yeah, I can't wait to see uh see the step Miles Bridges takes, and um, you know, kind of kind of a segue with with Bridges uh, returning is um, getting to a team whose whose stud player, whose Big Ten Player of the Year, did not return, and and that's Purdue. And I think Purdue, and I think I think their fans would tell you this as well. Purdue always gets kind of slept on. I feel, I feel like they feel like they're always a little bit underrated and I would tend to agree with that uh from a zoomed out broader maybe national standpoint I mean this is the Big Ten uh champions from last year and Mike I want to get your thoughts on this because just you know interacting with Purdue fans on social media and seeing their opinions I I feel like like I mentioned they um you know they they get the sense that they're not getting enough credit and that they're not being uh, taken seriously enough headed into this year so do you think Purdue fans have a point that, that they get overlooked and do you still think they are the team to beat as the defending champions in the Big Ten or is uh, Michigan State overtaking them on talent? Well I, I don't think that they're the team to beat. Uh, I think they can certainly you know and this is a, uh, to my to my discredit I have not broken down the schedules yet uh, but so this is in a vacuum assuming everybody plays an equal schedule. Um, I still think that Michigan State has the advantage uh, from a talent standpoint and from the ability to be special in particular areas. I mean, I don't see anything uh, at Purdue that suggests to me that they'll become an elite defensive team. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that they, they were fine last year, but they weren't great. Uh, they were 23rd in the nation in, in defense, um, and that's, you know, and that, you know, that's from a standpoint of they were sound, but they, you know, they didn't break you ever. Uh, I, I, I don't see anything about the nature of their uh, personnel changes adjusting that at all. The, the, I like some of the freshmen, but having watched them play 
uh, in the uh, World University Games. I think that they, some of their guys can contribute, but I don't think they change the nature of the team. I think it's the core group, and that's where it goes. And and you know they can adjust here and there uh, with you know guys like uh, Nogel uh, Eastern. Uh, I think he can help them, but I don't think he changes the personality of their team. So they'll still be very good on offense. They'll still be very good on defense. They'll still be really experienced, and and they'll be one of the best shooting teams in the country. But what will eventually beat them in the NCAA tournament will be the inability to get the big stops or a series of stops. And that may be fairly deep in the tournament, don't get me wrong, but something will beat them there. And then in the conference, I think that will be the difference between them and Michigan State. Yeah, Mike, do you think that they're being overlooked at all, or do you think it's just the reality of their, their situation? Oh, I think to an extent, yeah. I mean, I, I w- I've been surprised that you know it's some of the ratings – some of the preseason rankings that I've seen uh, that, like, okay, Biggie's gone, so they're no good anymore. I mean, I, I that like, wait a second, you know, Isaiah, ha- excuse me, Isaac Haas, you know, can play that spot, and he, you know, he may not be able to play it as long or as well, but he can play that spot, and he'll still be surrounded by a bunch of guys who can really shoot it. And Carson Edwards will go from being a nice piece to a special player this year. He showed that in both the under-19 world championships and in the world university games. I still think Vince Edwards is a is an outstanding player. So I, they do have terrific talent. And you know what it is, you know, if Michigan State doesn't get the improvement that I discussed earlier, Purdue will be right there to take it. I mean, it's going to, you know, they may have to fall into their laps, but they will not drop it. Yeah, their roster is extremely solid, deep, um, veteran-laden for sure. But, Tom, do you think they have enough true difference makers, especially without – Biggie Swanigan? Yeah, we'll see. You know, it kind of reminds me, uh, I mean, I know I'm dating myself here. Reminds me of when they lost Glenn Robinson after the 1994 <laughs> season. Everybody was, it was, you know, forecasting gloom and doom for Purdue. What do the Boilermakers do, not just the next year, but the year after? They won, they won two more Big Ten championships. I'm not saying Purdue's going to do that this year, but again, um, it always goes to show you can lose a superstar and still do well. And like Alex talked about, a veteran-laden roster. Um, Matt Painter seems like he sort of changed his philosophies uh, in the last few years. You know, Purdue, you always thought about Purdue basketball. You always thought about big guys and, and just kind of grinding defense and try hard, play hard guys. Well, it seems like they, they're wanting to be a little more up-tempo, get up and down the court a little bit more than in the past. You saw Carson Edwards, I think, get turned loose a little bit. I think he's going to continue to get turned loose. He could be a special player, um, a difference maker. And, and Mike talked about the freshman Eastern. They're already talking about this kid as maybe being a, a cut-above player and a potential difference maker. So we'll see. You know, Mike talked about defense, and um, they have a lot to prove there. And uh, like you said, uh, if they can be a team that can get that big stop at critical times, maybe they are a special squad. And you also have to ask, yeah, Swanigan was a huge loss, and who's going to pick up that production, especially from a – a rebounding standpoint. Just think of what he brought to that team from an intangible uh, perspective, too. Just the, the hustle and the want to as well. Yeah, I'm excited to see Nojel Eastern. I mean, that's a guy from right in our backyard here at Evanston that Purdue came into the state of Illinois and got. So, um, yeah, I've, I've heard good things about him. Uh, moving on to another team that I feel like is kind of, you know, lost in the shuffle a little bit projections-wise, and that's Maryland. And, you know, Maryland... They uh, are going to have to deal with another serious departure, much like Purdue. Melo Trimble is uh, 
has moved on and he's gone, and, and that's a that's a big shift from uh, teams of, of the last few years for them. But they have those freshmen from last year turning into sophomores, and I'm talking about Kevin Herter, uh, Justin Jackson, and uh, the point guard Cowan. Um, Mike, how do you see Purdue kind of fitting into the Big Ten this year, losing their leader, but as I said, having a uh, pretty good um, cast of characters behind them? I like their team. Uh, I like their team at their best. I mean, we haven't seen Jared Nickens' best in a while. Uh, we, you know, Michael Chikowski gets hurt a lot. Boy, if he could play a full season healthy, uh, they could be really good. Uh, that's what I want to see because I, I, I don't have any doubts that Kevin Herter and Justin Jackson and Anthony Cowan are a great base. You know, uh, three sophomores, all really good, all played a ton of basketball, a great base to build from. But then, what do you put around it? That's you know, and then so that's what matters. It, you know, does Nickens play well? Does Deion Wiley play well? Does does Chikovsky stay healthy? Those to me, those three guys, I think, will in a lot of ways decide how good this team is, uh, because uh, you've got to have something to go with your core. Uh, it can't just be those three guys, because although they're all very good players, I don't know that any of them is able to carry. You know, a, sort of like a Swanigan type load. I think you could see a a, a Herder or a Jackson, you know, averaging 16 sets. But uh, you know, with, without great contributions from four, five, six, seven, uh, that's not going to be enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to I want to shift gears a little bit to the new coaches that we're seeing coming to the Big Ten this year. We got uh, three schools. Welcoming new coaches, and and I think um, the prominent one that everyone will have their eyes on is uh, Archie Miller at Indiana. I mean, Indiana it, it had been discussed for a while that the fan base had been uneasy with Tom Crean at the helm there, even though he had had some huge flashes of success and then um, some really down years as well. So now with with Miller taking over and the roster kind of turning over there in Bloomington, Mike, I, I want to get your your uh, outside or not outside but national opinion what are the realistic expectations for indiana first in this year because i think the expectation is probably um that it's going to be a little bit rough in archie's first year so so what are the expectations in year one and then uh projecting a little bit forward beyond that do you think archie's going to uh you know get it rolling in indiana the way the fans have long expected there well i i think that what the ex- realistic expectation for this year is to build an identity which I don't have any doubt that they'll do. Uh, they'll they'll be better defensively. They'll be more they'll be more consistent than they were uh, in the last couple of years. They'll they'll be a you'll know what to expect from the Hoosiers when they walk on the floor. And, and, and you may get varying degrees of that, but you'll know what to expect. I think that was something that was missing in Indiana over the last couple of years. It it, it did tend to to waver a bit too much uh, from from game to game, season to season. And I think that's, that's going to be important for, for Indiana moving forward. Um, I think the other thing, you know, how, what can you expect? I think you can expect them to be in the thick of, you know, the, you know, the first four teams or so, uh, first five teams maybe, I think there's sort of a consensus about. Um, but, you know, Indiana should feel like it's in the thick of that next group, uh, which I would think Maryland would be included in and Michigan would be included in Iowa. And where you end up on that, on that, you know, on that conveyor belt, so to speak, uh, relative to those other teams, Penn State, uh, that all have a chance of being tournament teams, 
you know, that's sort of, you know, up to you and, and how you come together and how healthy you stay and, and whether or not you do establish that identity. Uh, and, you know, you know, and sort of how your non-conference breaks and how your schedule breaks and all those sorts of things. But I think they should feel like, you know, they should be able to finish somewhere between 5th or 6th and 10th. And 10th may not be terrible in this, in this league because I just named all those teams that I think are, are really good teams. I don't think they're great, but I think they're good. And so I think Indiana can feel like that it should fight to be in the middle of that and try to climb to the top of that group. And if, if they do that, then they've had a great season. As far as the future, I really like what Archie's done recruiting-wise so far. I think he's been really smart about getting players in, again, to build a base of your program, guys who you know will be there for four years, that you know are committed to being Hoosiers, uh, that you know will be you know, doing the things you want them to do. Uh, and then from there, uh, you can, you know, they're going to take a swing. There's, you know, they're still taking a swing at some, you know, elite level players, uh, and they're doing pretty well with them. And so uh, that they've got a shot at those guys. But if they don't get them, hey, when you get hired in the spring now, those guys, you know, they they're all sort of, you know, rounding third and heading for home, and they're just trying to figure out whether the slide or score standing up, you know, and and it's it's. It's hard to get involved in those guys. And so the fact that Indiana has any shot at all with a couple of top ten guys, I think is, is a real testimony to, to the power of the Indiana brand, the power of, uh, of the you know, facilities and, and everything else Indiana has to offer, and, and the power of Archie's uh, personality and his staff. Yeah, and I think you know so, some people were chiding or scolding Indiana for firing Tom Crean when – um, you know, obviously they expected better, and I don't think it's it's wrong at all to expect certainly more consistent results than Tom Crean delivered. And and you know, I, I don't think Indiana fans are living in the past like some suggest. I I think that Indiana, especially with all the talent in state and in the Midwest, that there is to be recruited. I, I think the their uh you know their expectations should be you know higher than than, than what they got at least consistently because I, I do believe with the facilities and the investment they have in the basketball program there. Uh, in Bloomington that, um, you know, there, there's potential for them to maybe not get back to the level that they were in the 70s and 80s under night, but at least be a uh, top four Big Ten team year in and year out. Uh, we'll move on now to uh, another school with a first-year coach right across state lines, and that's Illinois. Tom, I, I want to get your thoughts of some realistic expectations Illinois fans should have in year one of Brad Underwood. Um there's a lot of roster turnover there as well. There were some key decommitments and key commitments as well to Brad Underwood, and um, some veterans are still hanging around from the Gross era that I, I think Underwood will be able to utilize better than John Gross did. So, Tom, what do you think uh, year one under under Coach Underwood? Do you think um, Illinois can maybe break that four-year drought and uh, compete at least for a NCAA tournament uh, bid this year? Yeah, 2013, the last time... Uh Illinois was in the NCAA tournament. I can't believe it. Uh, I, I think that may be a little bit wishful thinking this year, a big dance bit. Um, just getting to the postseason for the NIT, I think, would be a good first step for Underwood as he tries to lay that foundation. You know, in Champaign, um, you know, if you talked about some of the veterans back, uh, you know, Lucas and Black in particular, are going to have to be cornerstones for that first team. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, a guy I love a lot, the incoming freshman, uh, uh, Tell you what, Mark Smith, uh, I think he's a special player. I don't think he's getting enough hype 
come in this year, but he has a chance, it sounds like, to start here this coming year. And he could be a real difference maker and a real surprise player in the Big Ten this year. And Taylor Bell is going to make the NIT or any postseason tournament. Like he's going to have to play a big role. Yeah, one thing I think that, uh, or one guy I think Underwood will be able to use, utilize better is Michael Finke. He was a guy that I think was kind of uncomfortable in John Gross's offense and was never able to really find a consistent groove. And I think Underwood has the offensive acumen to really utilize his weapons better. And I think if Illinois has a shot at making the NCAA tournament this year with a kind of jumbled roster with the coaching turnover, I think it's going to be because Brad Underwood gets the most out of his pieces. And I agree that that there's reason for optimism uh, with Mark Smith because – Brad Underwood has, uh, you know, he's seen a lot of guys and, and coached a lot of players across his, his career, and he has spoken glowingly about, about Smith, in the, uh, especially in the last few weeks as he's seen him develop. And you're right, Tom, it's inconceivable that Illinois has gone four years without making an NCAA tournament. I mean, that would have been, if you would have told an Illinois fan 10 years ago that that would be the case, you know, you'd be, you'd be laughed out of the room, so... Um, it's unfortunate, I think, uh, what's gone on there, but we'll see if Underwood can get it turned around. And sticking on the subject of Brad Underwood, Mike, we mentioned earlier at the top of the show that uh, one of his assistant coaches, Lamont Evans at Oklahoma State, was uh, one of those assistants arrested in the FBI investigation with the feds looking into possible violations now uh, by Oklahoma State players. So, Mike, do you think there's anything that – Underwood has to has to worry about realistically, or um, do you think Illinois fans should be worried that uh, their coach is, is going to have this looming over him now before he's even really got off the ground there? Well, you know, that's a really difficult uh, question to answer because, um, you know, when you are adjacent to someone who has been, you know, charged criminally, I think that automatically there's a, there's a reason to be concerned uh, uh, just because of that circumstance, whether or not there's any tie or any uh, correlation or anything like that. I mean, he was in your program, uh, and now he's, you know, and now he he has been arrested. Uh, so I, I think from that standpoint, that's the only question I can really honestly answer because no one knows anything beyond that other than uh, the two coaches and, and anything that the – uh, authorities might know about their relationship, and I can't, I can't hazard a guess, and I think it would be reckless for me to do that. Uh, I, I just think that any, any coach um, whose assistant was arrested, you know, would be concerned immediately about that, you know, about that act, uh, and, you know, and I can't really necessarily take it beyond that. Yeah, and I think I'll just, I'll just say that you know nothing good can come out of this, obviously, and who knows? I know Illinois fans have speculated that it maybe already has hurt recruiting a little bit because they had some targets that were maybe leaning towards coming to Illinois that have gone elsewhere in the last several weeks since this news broke. So, so who knows if it's affecting recruiting? But you, you have to suspect that uh, you know coaches that are competing for those same recruits are at least you know floating those those whispers that you know you never know what's going to happen. So. Uh, we'll we'll see what plays out, but I think um, you know, assuming that Underwood is cleared of any wrongdoing, that I, I think Illinois fans are right to be optimistic about what he can do there because he has a, a fantastic track record record of success. We'll move on now to the next first year head coach in the Big Ten, and that's at Ohio State and uh, Chris Holtman. So, how do you think Holtman stacks up 
And how does that hire stack up, Mike, uh, alongside Miller and Underwood? Do you think Ohio State did well um, and did the right thing getting Thad Mata? Uh, I, I, it sounds sounds cruel, but getting him out of there and replacing him with uh, with a guy like Holtman. Well, you know, I I, I felt terrible about what happened um, for Thad because I mean I, I went back and. On the day it happened, I went back and I said, okay, I was just doing some math and, and okay, how many wins did he average a year uh, at Ohio State? And I did the math and it came out 26. And I'm like, come on, that can't be right. I must have done the math wrong. That can't be 26 wins. I mean, if, if it hadn't been for his, uh, you know, for the circumstance of his health, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was on his way to being a Hall of Famer. I mean, there, there's no question that, that that's where he was headed. To, to even after the tough years at the end, he was still averaging 26 wins a year in his time at Ohio State. That's crazy. That's an unbelievable number. Uh, so if, it ha- if he hadn't had the ill health, uh, he would have done spect- continued to do spectacularly. Ohio State would have remained among the best programs in the Big Ten. But it did have an impact on his ability to run the program the way he wanted, the way Ohio State wanted. And so, I, you know, I, I hate that it happened for him because I really like that. I admire that. I've known him now for 16, 17 years. There hasn't been a day in all that that I really didn't enjoy him. And I feel terrible that it happened for him because it, not only does he have the day-to-day discomfort that he does, but it also impacted his ability to be great at what he enjoyed so much. Uh, and so I, I feel terrible for him. I, I, I understand why Ohio State felt like at some point they had to to try again. Uh, and, you know, to, to some extent, for Thad's own good. I, I don't know, maybe uh, time away will allow him, you know, without the daily grind, to get better enough to come back and do it again. I sure hope so. Uh, I, I really do. And, if, if you know, if he gets back to being able to do it, I mean, there'll be people lining up to hire him because he's a tremendous basketball coach. But once they made that decision, I thought they had three excellent choices right in their neighborhood. Mick Cronin at Cincinnati, Chris Mack at Xavier, Chris Holtman at Butler, and they wound up with, you know, there was no wrong choice in that. Um, it was just who was interested and who was, you know, uh, and who, who were they interested in. And the fact that Chris ended up being their choice, uh, I think that it was ideal, and I think he'll do really well. Yeah, Tom, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Who do you think has the best chance to be successful out of these three new hires? There are three proud programs, you know, programs that expect to do better than they have been in recent years. So out of those three guys, you know, you project four or five years down the road with the tools they have, who do you think, um, you know, is best set up for success? Well, there are three great jobs. I mean, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio State, without a doubt, Tom proven you can go all the way to the Final Four at, at any of those three places. Um, yeah, you have to say Indiana, right? I mean, you, you guys talked about the Hoosiers earlier. I, mean, I think of basketball blue bloods, like most people think, what, UCLA, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke. Um, then there's Indiana, too, right? And, and, and Indiana's the one school of those blue bloods that, that really has not lived up to its, I guess, its billion as a blue blood. And you now they've got a young coach, and Mike talked about the recruiting He's already doing extremely well. He's got a lot of commitments right off the right out of the gates. So you kind of wonder where he's going to be in, in one, two, three years there in Bloomington with those resources, with that passion, with that commitment that that school has. Um, 
you got to go IU. Uh, and again, not to take away from Illinois, Ohio State, we saw what Matta did there when he had guys like Connolly and Odin. And Illinois, too, uh, going back a little bit further to what that Bill Self team, the, the, I should say the Bruce Weber team that Bill Self recruited in 2005. So, again, um, three great jobs. You have to say I think Indiana is the one with Miller, uh, what they've got there, the potential that um, maybe uh, you can get back to its first Final Four since, what, 2002 in the next couple of years. Yeah, moving on um, to another team that is projected to – do well this season, and that's Minnesota. Minnesota improved their win total last year by 16 games. They went from worst to almost first, and and uh, we probably won't see that level of a turnaround for a long time from any college basketball team because that's kind of an all-time turnaround there. Mike, you wrote about Minnesota last year um, and, and the turnaround they had. So I'm interested to know if you, if you see any teams in the Big Ten this year that could make a similar leap to, to what Minnesota did or, or you know, not really come out of nowhere, but but make a marked improvement from uh, from last year and and threaten the top of the Big Ten. If there's any team you see uh, with that potential, well, the team that has the ability to it and probably to do it, excuse me, and, and probably the imperative is Penn State. Uh, they have those three sophomores who are all very talented, uh, and they have a, a good core of veteran players. Josh Rees is one of my. You know, he's been one of my personal favorite Big Ten players since I first saw him uh, in the green room at BTN and watching him throw his body around and make smart passes. And uh, I, I really like him. And I, I think they have a, enough there to be an NCAA tournament team in the, you know, if, they, if they execute it the right way, if they improve the structure of their offense, which I think the arrival of Jim Ferry uh, from Duquesne uh, as a new assistant coach might help to do. And if they play more consistently, uh, just in terms of, of effort and execution, I mean, they've always been a really good, solid defensive team, but effort and execution aren't just, I'm playing hard on defense. It's also, how much do I think through my offensive uh, uh, responsibilities? And that's where Penn State's often been deficient. Uh, they, they, that, that's, that's the big change that has to happen for them. But if it does... Uh, then they could be a tournament team, and then you know Pat Chambers can maybe settle in there uh, instead of constantly being told by people that you know that he's in jeopardy. Yeah, and you're right, Mike. Penn State has some real talent, and it's kind of like you know, okay, you've got the guys now. Now, time to see if they can put it together and see if Pat Chambers is, is capable of that because they have some real talent, like NBA level talent, Mike Watkins and Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens that. You know, it should be able to, with with that type of uh, roster, get to an NCAA tournament and, and compete for a top half of the Big Ten finish. Um, and, and another school that I'm interested to, to watch to see if the uh, how the coach fares alongside Penn State is Nebraska with Tim Miles. Um, Tom, I'm, I'm curious to to get your thoughts. Do you think either of those guys are in make or break years? Is there Extra pressure this year, just with how things have gone in the uh, in the last several years for those schools. Or do you think with those schools not really being as uh, basketball crazed as some other Big Ten schools, do you think those guys don't really have to you know make an NCAA tournament or feel any extra pressure this year? Well, I think uh, if you were to pick a, a couple of schools that I guess we can say uh, are at a crossroads, so to speak. 
Um, you know, Penn State's one of them. I think, um, you know, Pat Chambers looks like maybe he's got a squad like you guys talked about that, that maybe can get that breakthrough season with all that talent and can maybe solidify his footing in State College PA. Uh, he's, what, five or six years deep into his tenure there. So um, I think some, some, big, some bigger results are expected this year. And, you know, the same goes for Nebraska. I think that the sledding's been a little bit tougher for Tim Miles. It seems like it's almost been 20 years since they had that, that magical year where they, they got in the NCAA tournament, but they, they never really capitalized on that from a couple of years ago, and, and recruiting suffered as well, and uh, again, Miles is at least, what, four or five years into his tenure at Lincoln, and, and again, uh, I think people expect maybe a little bit more from him this deep into his, uh, in his tenure in, in, at Nebraska. So. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think the pressure's on, but you know what? Miles is a is a good coach, and he does have some players to work with this year. But again, I think it's enough enough of a battle for him this year. Yeah, Chambers and Miles both, you know, unquestionably good guys and, and good coaches. And um, you know, I think those are guys that people like to root for because, like I said, they are at schools where basketball is not top dog, and, and they have brought in some talent, shown some flashes. So. It'll be interesting to see how uh, how they fare this season. And getting back to Minnesota, you know, we, we brought up potential teams that will be like Minnesota this year. But but what about this year's Minnesota team? Uh, like I said, a 16-game turnaround from last season and, and a lot of talent coming back. It's too bad that they lost Eric Curry to injury. That um, You know, he was projected to be a big factor this year down low for them. But, Tom, do you think Minnesota is a legitimate Big Ten contender once again? They, they certainly threatened last year and um, finishing near the top of the Big Ten. And do you think with guys like Amir Coffey and Nate Mason that they could maybe, you know, threaten Purdue and, and Michigan State for a title this year? No doubt about it. Without a doubt, this is an NCAA tournament team with a shot, like you said, Alex, to even, even challenge possibly for the, for the Big Ten championship this year. Um, you know, Coffey, of course, is a legacy player in Minneapolis who, who's really continued to blossom. He talked about Mason as well in the backcourt. Um, guy I like a lot is Jordan Murphy too. So you know, Patino's got a lot of players back. Um, expectations have changed right now. You know, it's always easy to play when not much is expected of you. But after last year's breakthrough, um, you know, the expectation level has gone up. So um, that, that to me, that's probably going to be the biggest challenge for for the Golden Gophers this year is dealing with expectations. And can they continue to improve on on the exciting season that they enjoyed last year? Yeah, Richard Patino's done a great job building that up, and like you said, Tom, they're not sneaking up on anyone this year, so I'm excited to see how they handle it, and I, th- I think they have some real next-level players on that roster as well. Um, moving on to another team that I don't think is going to sneak up on many people this year who they have a, uh, a great deal of talent and young talent on the roster, and that's Iowa. Mike, I want to get your thoughts. Do you think Iowa is, a first of all, a top-half Big Ten type of team, and do you think they're, you know, looking at a, a pretty solid expectation for an NCAA tournament bid? Because they got guys like Jordan Bohan and, and Tyler Cook and, and Nick Bear coming back. And I think people have, uh, at least in Iowa City, are expecting a tournament bid after just missing out last year. So where do you see them finishing um, in the Big Ten this year? Kind of in the middle of that pack, or do you think they can rise above that, Mike? Yeah, I think that... Like I said, that that group of teams, you know, and I do think that there's there's likely. I mean, this is just sort of in the preseason, and it might not play out like that. But I think there's likely to be a separation between Michigan State, Purdue, 
uh, you know, Northwestern, uh, Wisconsin to an extent. I think that those teams, you know, uh, those those four or five teams that are at the top at Purdue, uh, if I didn't mention them, um, those teams, excuse me, Minnesota would be the other team in that group. Uh, those five, and then I think that there's a next five or six, and I think that Iowa is in that group, and I, I would put them toward the front of the line. Uh, they have a, you know, a really good, solid group of players. That I think that Cook has a chance to be special if he can stay healthy, and Bohannon is a great player to have because he's such a great shot maker. And I, I do think that there's a chance there for, that, you know, for them to return, and, but uh, it's going to be a real scrum among those teams. Uh, uh, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan, uh, Iowa, those teams, uh, Indiana, they all have a shot to be really to be good, to very good. And they all certainly, uh, none of them is going to cede anything to those first five teams I mentioned. Uh, but I, I look at it and see that it's going to be a real scrap. And you could be at the bottom of that list, you could wind up at the bottom of that list and really feel like you didn't have that bad a year, but maybe you know, tough breaks or one bad decision or something like that, and you go from, you know, from maybe 8 and 10 to 7 and 11, and then you haven't had a great year. So it, it, it's going to be very close among those teams, and I do think Iowa has a chance to be among the better of them. And I, I don't think they have the kind of talent that, they ha- that you have at Minnesota and Purdue uh, and, and at Michigan State. But I, I really like their core group, and I, I, I think that they – play hard and they play well together yeah the big challenge for them is going to be replacing the scoring hole that uh losing peter jock has left now because you know that was a guy that was putting up 18 20 a game and when he was healthy really an unbelievable player for four years and uh you know if if like you said cook can stay healthy and bohannon you know ups his scoring a little bit he had a fantastic freshman year and and we know he can shoot the lights out and uh if a role player like nick bayer can step up I know uh, our colleague Tom Brent Urena is high on Iowa this year, so he's projecting a top four finish. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, two, two more teams, and I know you touched on Michigan briefly there, Mike. Two more teams that are, you know, have had great success, especially this decade and and before that, that are entering the season as kind of unknowns are, are Wisconsin and Michigan, and you know Wisconsin is on this unbelievable run, inconceivable really, of sixteen consecutive years finishing in the top four of the Big Ten. I mean, that's that's absurd, and it, it just is a testament to how solid they've, they've been for so long. Do you think, first of all, we'll start with Wisconsin. Tom, do you think this is a year that Wisconsin, they've finally lost enough talent, losing Nigel Hayes and Bronson Koenig and Showalter and guys like that? Is this a year they finally take a step back and finish outside that top four, or are they just somehow going to do what Wisconsin does and, and you know make this fit, make this work, and um, you know challenge for... Uh, top four finish and a uh, top five NCAA tournament seed once again. I'm not betting against them until it happens, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're remar- I mean, well, what a remarkable run. I mean, to have that level of consistency over that length of time with a sport with so much transition on your roster and then you're you a coaching change as well. Despite all that, you know, transition and change over the years, uh, the one constant has been the team's uh, – Steady performance of the top four finisher in the Big Ten. So uh, yes, you know you talked about the talent drain, awfully significant. Uh, especially Candy, the guy I liked a lot. But remember, Ethan Happ is back, tremendous big man as well. So there's still plenty for 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 Greg Gard to build on there in Madison. And again, 
I'm not going to bet against or pick Wisconsin outside the top four until I see it actually happen. Yeah, I mean, you've got Hap, you've got Trice, you've got plenty of, plenty of talent there, I think, and Wisconsin always you know, gets, gets more out of their talent than I think any other school in the country, and they've done it over a, a period of time that, like we said, is just absurd to uh, have that kind of success. Um, touching on Michigan now, Mike, who do you think fills the lost production there? Because DJ Wilson departed for the NBA, uh, Derek Walton's gone, Zach Irvin's gone, you've got a guy like Charles Matthews coming in as a transfer do you see them, uh, you know, having maybe a year like last year where they were able to get a ton out of Mo Wagner and have guys step up and, and, and make it work? Or do you think that, uh, you know, Michigan might have a year like they've had a couple of these down years where they are more of an NIT team? Uh, what do you foresee, Mike? Well, I'm not ready to give up on them yet. Uh, you know, they still have Duncan Robinson to make shots. Uh, nobody wants to leave him open. Uh I think you have the uh, the difficulty of having to defend them because Wagner is so big and and so versatile and can score in so many different ways. I, I do think that in order for them to to be in in that group that I talked about and be really competitive uh, with Iowa and Indiana and uh, that and Maryland and that group, uh, Charles Matthews is going to have to be very good. I mean, he, he I don't think they have any uh, any luxury for him to struggle. Uh, because it, 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 you get those reports from every program that ever has a transfer in it. Uh, I still remember my favorite one of these. Uh, uh, talk, uh, I'll go off on a little tangent here. In 1999, after Connecticut beat Duke for the national championship, I still remember people talking afterwards, well, wait till they get Adam Majuk, uh, uh on their team. Uh, uh, what, a, what a difference he'll make. Uh, uh, after, he, he was. He was, actually it wasn't uh, Mizuki. There was there was there was uh, one one of their players was, was sitting out as a transfer and uh, and and everybody was talking about him. Like, well, you guys just won the national championship, but every you always have whoever's the whoever's the player in practice who doesn't have to play is the one who's the best guy in practice. Right. And so Charles Matthews last year, a lot of good buzz about him. But that, but whatever the buzz was doesn't really matter so much because the lights come on, and it's different when that happens. Uh, when when the lights come on, then you have to be ready for that. And if he's not ready for that, uh, then they will struggle to produce offensively. They have some really good weapons in some good places, and I think uh, Xavier Simpson's going to be fine at point guard. He's not going to be Derek Walton, at least not at the start, but he's going to be fine. But you need to have that production on the perimeter to to keep defenses away from just ganging up on Duncan Robinson. Sure, um, and you know I love those two teams together, not just because they're kind of some they're kind of unknowns heading into the season, but like Tom mentioned, these are two teams you, you programs you never really bet against. I would say Wisconsin as a program you never really bet against, and Beeline as a coach you don't want to bet against because mm. they consistently you know put together just unbelievably solid seasons year after year. And, Mike, you mentioned Northwestern briefly earlier, and you sounded pretty high on them, and, and certainly for good reason. You know, the NCAA tournament team last year with almost everybody coming back. So one, I guess, way and angle I wanted to bring up, one way of looking at it, is the hype of the NCAA tournament and that, that first NCAA tournament berth not going to – how it's not going to be hanging over them this year, essentially. You know, most guys are back, and they should be a candidate to make it back to the NCAA tournament easily. 
But do you think that, you know, burden of, of, of making the NCAA tournament, do you think that being lifted without that Cinderella story following them, um, do you think that'll help Northwestern? Or do you think there'll be kind of a, a hangover this season? You know, there's not that, that apple in front of the, uh, the horse, so to speak, you know, dangling out there in front of them. How, how do you think that storyline or, or lack thereof affects them? I think it helps uh, because I think that toward the end of that season, last season, there was pressure on them that really affected the outcome of particular games. The Indiana game on the road would be one that I would think that if if they were, you know, based on the way they played that game, if that invisible barrier hadn't been there, we need this game to get through that door, uh, I think they would have ended up being able to finish that win off. I mean, because they, they won that game uh, for, you know, for 39 minutes and 58 seconds or so and still managed to lose it. I, I think so. I think that's gone. What what the problem for Northwestern is that they have to get over now. You get over that one, and now here's another: is the refurbishment of their home arena and having to play at Allstate. That's you know that's a significant change, and it's hard you know it's hard to create a new home court atmosphere uh, at a place that you know isn't that close to your campus, isn't that you know isn't the you know the, the most wonderful arena in America. Uh, and so you have to get your fans to buy into going over there. And it's, so all of that is a challenge for Northwestern now, the students trying to get them out there. Uh, that's, that's, going to be, that's going to affect them. And they'll probably you know, either struggle in some home games that they wouldn't have or maybe drop one that they wouldn't have uh, dropped. That's, what, that's where the worry comes into it for Northwestern for this season. Yeah, plenty of talent coming back. I mean, McIntosh, Pardon, Lindsey, and Law, and guys like that. I mean, their their lineup is loaded. But Mike, that's a great point with with Allstate Arena. I mean, anyone who's, who lives in this area in Chicago, or anyone really that's tried to get to O'Hare Airport, knows just how big of a pain it can be to get out to Rosemont. And you know, uh, their arena last year. Um, uh, Welsh Ryan, that that was an intimidating environment, especially when, you know, they had the when, when people could tell that it was going to be a, a great season, and, and you know they're really starting to pack the place. It can be a, a deafening, intimidating environment and, and a real home court advantage. And I, I agree that there's just no way that Allstate Arena is going to going to provide that type of uh, you know home court advantage. It's it's going to be probably half empty most of the time, and it's going to be tough for students to get out there. I mean, it's twenty thousand seat arena as opposed to an eight thousand seat arena at Welsh Ryan. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they respond, and um, I think they'll make the tournament with uh, room to spare. But you know, there's there's going to be challenges along the way for sure. Uh, Tom, let's move on to um, a team that you know is on the right track. It looks like with uh, their second year head coach Steve Peichel. That's Rutgers. Um, I think they were, as Rutgers fans and their athletic department markets at night and day last year, they were night and day better from the year before under uh, Eddie Jordan. But how do you see the season for Rutgers playing out, Tom? And do you think, what do you think, I guess, constitutes a, a, another step forward? What do they have to show this year in, in uh, year two under Coach Peichel? Who knows? I think I, I maybe making a push towards some type of postseason tournament. Um, if they can do that, it'll be a a heck of a feat for, for Pico. Um, I'm not saying the big dance, of course. Hard to believe they haven't been in the big dance since 1991. But, again, just looking at their, their win totals the last five years, 15, 12, 10, 7, and 15 last year for Pico. Um, when you read stories and quotes from other coaches, uh, 
Yeah, you know, you heard about how much better coached Rutgers was last year, how much better they played on defense. So now that they've got a very solid coach, um, it's just a matter of for him continuing to ingrain his system and continuing to augment the roster. Um, plenty of talent in that area to recruit. We all know that. And, again, Pico's a guy that maybe can, can maybe make Rutgers, you know, a, a factor at some point in the Big Ten in the near future. Because, again, he he got some nice players this year. Everybody loves Corey Sanders, of course, and, Sean Freeman, too, so uh, it's going to be fun to see what Pyro can do in the next couple of years. Yeah, just watching Rutgers, I mean, just just from the eye test, they, they were so much better last year, um, much improved. I mean, it looked like they had a purpose on offense. They were competing in games that they, you know, would get blown out in in previous years, and they were blowing out teams that they should be blowing out. They were blowing out inferior competition, low and mid-major competition, so I think that was a welcome change for Rutgers fans, and I think with Peichel's track record as a, an assistant, you know, under under Calhoun and uh, a guy who built a, a winner at Stony Brook, I think Rutgers fans can feel good about the direction that program is heading for sure. So before we go, guys, um, you know, everyone likes to do preseason predictions. They usually don't mean much, but I wanted to expand beyond the usual, you know, predicting a, a Big Ten champion because I think – Michigan State's on a level that, that most people are going to predict them to win the Big Ten, so that wouldn't be very fun if all three of us predicted Michigan State to win. So we'll go uh, expand on that and predict our top four Big Ten teams this year, and, and I'll go ahead and start. Um, and like I said, I, I'd expect most people to pick Michigan State to win, so I'm going I'm to pick them number one just based on sheer talent uh, to, to win the Big Ten this year under Tom Izzo. And then beyond that, I'm going to go number two, I think Minnesota has the talent to to challenge Michigan State. Probably won't finish far behind them. I think they'll slide into that number two spot. I think Purdue at number three, uh, the talent they have coming back. We talked about the the veteran leadership, the depth they have on that roster, and just an all around all around solid team. And I think they'll uh, you know they'll, they'll push Michigan State as well. But I think ultimately they'll come in third. And then you know we we touched on the streak of Wisconsin finishing in the top four of the Big Ten. This would be their 17th year, I believe, uh, finishing in a top four Big Ten slot. So I, I'm just not going to bet against them, despite maybe some of the roster deficiencies they have this year as opposed to others. So I'm going to go Wisconsin uh, in that number four spot. And uh, Tom, we'll start with you. Give me uh, your top four projection, projected teams for the 2017-18 season. Yeah, Michigan State at the top, of course, Miles Bridges leading the way. I, I do like Purdue second. I like the depth of talent. I like the offensive capabilities. The inside-out balance they're going to have, I think, it's going to be good. Uh, number three, Minnesota, um, extremely talented team. Still an underrated team. Remember, they got their uh, the big guy Reggie Lynch back as well, the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year to sort of patrol the middle. And then, like you, Alex, like I said earlier, too, the Badgers uh, going the Badgers number four, just the steadiness there, and with Ethan Happ is the hub of everything they do in Madison. That's a heck of a place to start for any coach in the program. Yeah, definitely. Mike, how about you? Uh, if you got uh, four Big Ten teams you had to pick, one through four, let's hear them. All right, I'm going to go Michigan State as well, Minnesota second, Purdue third, and I'm going to go Northwestern fourth. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if, Purdue, if Northwestern and Wisconsin finished with equivalent records and the streak could continue. It was a lot of fun uh, breaking down 
Big Ten basketball uh, as, as media day gets underway here. I know for about half the conference that's focused on football, it'll probably be a shock to the system that uh, basketball's coming up so rapidly. I, and for the other half, that's probably circled on their calendar the first game already with their football teams not doing so well. So, uh, you know, it's here. It's, it's around the corner. And I'm sure we'll, uh, you know, we'll enjoy Mike's commentary throughout the season here on BTN. And hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast soon, Mike. Tom, as always, good work. And, and thanks, guys, for calling in. Thank you. I enjoyed doing it. Thanks again, Mike D. We'll see you. It's always good to see you, my friend, and keep up the good work. You're the best. Thanks, Tom. Thanks again to Mike and Tom for joining me. And uh, we got to a lot of stuff there. We, we touched on a lot of topics. And similar to what we've done with the football focus episodes, I hope to establish a uh, regular schedule during basketball season and bring in reporters and guests and analysts that be able to uh, put Big Ten basketball in perspective as the, uh, the season heats up and, and moves along with, uh, like we mentioned, some teams that are uh, real contenders in a national landscape. And, um, you know, as always, the, the Big Ten is going to be one of the premier conferences in the country in basketball. And I've always been a you know, huge Big Ten basketball fan. So I'm very excited to get started and, and get the season rolling and uh, get to all the good stuff. And hopefully we can do what we've done with great success on the football side, bringing in um, a lot of a lot of knowledgeable people and high-profile analysts to, to chop it up and break it down with us. So thanks again to everyone out there for listening. Continue to follow our coverage and, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Wes White for producing. And we'll talk to you next time on Take 10.